verse 31 to 34. You may find this in your pew Bible on page 1227. Page 1227. The time is coming, declared the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to let them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declared the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After that time, declared the Lord, I will put my law in their mind and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or, his, or a man his brother, saying, Knowing the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declared the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sin no more. The scripture continues uh, reading the New Testament on the book of Luke, chapter 1, from verses 67 to 75, on page 1590, page 1590, followed by chapter 2, from verses 25 to 35, on page 1591 page 1591. His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his, his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he said through the, his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Chapter 2, on page 1591, verse 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It has been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do to, for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, 
This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. This is the word of the Lord. Let us go to God in prayer. Lord God, we thank you indeed for the Saviour that has been born for us. And we pray that we may come to know him and to know you in much deeper ways, even as we hear your word read and preached. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So here we are on the first day of a new year. And the way God has ordered things and how things come in cycles at the beginning of the year, there always seems to be a sense of hope. And I think for many of us who are on social media, if we look at many of the posts, maybe we have said the same thing ourselves, that... 2016 is over and we look forward to good things in 2017. And perhaps among us, we may have made resolutions promising ourselves that we would not repeat the mistakes of the past year and hoping to be better people. How many of us made resolutions? Some. Okay. The others don't dare put up your hands, huh? It's okay, one. Except that a survey done on a website called Statistics Brain, and they've been doing this for a number of years now, they have gathered New Year resolutions. And this is in the US, and they found that the top 10 New Year resolutions, well, they haven't done it for last year, but in 2015, the top 10 was lose weight, get organized, spend less and save more, enjoy life to the fullest, stay fit and healthy, learn something new and exciting, quit smoking, help others in their dreams, fall in love, spend more time with their family. In that survey, they also asked a number of other questions, and out of that, they found that only eight had success in achieving their resolutions, 8%. So keeping resolutions are tough. And a story emerged that one chap decided he would make resolutions only resolutions that he could keep. So he resolved to gain weight, to stop exercising, to read less and watch more TV, to quit giving money and time to charity, and never to make New Year resolutions again. And you and I know that these resolutions are not exactly good for his health, are they? Resolutions are meant to make us better people, not regress. 
Resolutions are promises to ourselves, and we don't always keep them because we excuse ourselves, don't we, when we can't keep them. Although I think we fare a little better when we make promises to other people. But there is one who makes promises which are good promises and who is able to fulfill every one of those promises. And that is God himself. God makes promises as he interacts with human beings and makes covenant with them. A covenant is like a contract which God makes with human beings. God promises to do something, and in that covenant, he calls people to respond to his initiative with right actions. And when we read through the Old Testament, we find that God, at various times, makes covenant with different ones of his people. The first covenant God made was with Noah. And that covenant, some commentaries call it the covenant for the universal preservation of life. And you remember, God had sent a flood to wipe out all humankind, including animals, on the face of the earth because of sin. Only Noah and his family, eight persons, and the animals that he had moved into the ark were saved. And after that, God made this covenant with Noah and promised that he would never again send a flood to wipe out all life on earth. And as a sign of that covenant, God put a rainbow in the sky. Then the next one to be called into a covenant was Abraham. And this is a crucial covenant. The covenant was God was going to bless Abraham so that he could bless all the other nations. God was going to give Abraham descendants and land as well. And you realize why Israel or the Israelis today are so earnest and serious and eager about land because they have this promise from God that has come down to today. And the sign of that covenant was circumcision. And this blessing that God would give Abraham land and descendants were the means for Abraham to bless and his descendants to bless the nations. The blessing was this, that people would be drawn back to God. God's purpose right from the beginning has always been that people would be friends with him, would walk close with him, be intimate with him. But sin um, kind of destroyed that spoiled that. And so God's purpose in every way to bless people is so that others can be drawn back to God. And through the ages, God 
Well, God fulfilled his covenant with Abraham. He gave him a son, but that many, many descendants that he promised Abraham, like the stars in the sky and the land Abraham would not see fulfilled within his lifetime. But it came. So the people occupied promised land, uh, and there were so many of them, like the stars in the sky. But we find that God also made covenant with Abraham's descendants. And the purpose of that was to reveal himself and his ways. And so that they in turn can say, this is the God we serve and this is the God who calls you to himself. And so God made covenant with the Israelites on Mount Sinai. He gave them the law so that they would know God's ways of living what was right living in the sight of God. And then later on, God would make covenant with King David, promising him that his descendants would sit on the throne of Israel. As we read through the Old Testament, what we will encounter is this. God is the covenant maker and keeper. Israel was the covenant breaker. God was faithful. Israel was faithless. But that doesn't mean that God would forsake his covenant and give up, throw up his hands and said, hopeless you all. God never did that. God continued to work with Israel. God continued to lead Israel. God continued to call Israel to himself. And God gave Jeremiah a glimpse of what would happen in the future. The law that God gave as a sign of his covenant with the Israelites and the revelation of his ways, that law would not be something external on tablets of stone anymore. God was going to write that law and imprint that law on human hearts. And the purpose of that would be so that people can know God personally, like a friend, like a father, a loving father. And when the time came, God would fulfill that covenant of Abraham's descendants to be a blessing to the nation. And this was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And that name Jesus, or in Hebrew, Yeshua, means God saves. Justo Gonzalez, in his little book, The Story That Luke Tells, where he brings out themes in the book of Luke, points out that, you know, the word salvation and saviour, we use it so often, we think it's throughout the Bible. But really, it is unique to Luke and to Paul, salvation, being saved, saviour, all these three words, and particularly the Greek word, is found only in Luke and Paul's letters, except for perhaps one mention in the book of John. The other Gospels describe this whole process of being delivered, but they don't use that particular word. Uh, that's translated as saved or salvation. 
or saviour. And so when the angel announced, or when we read about the angel announcing that a saviour has been born, um, we have learned over the years that this refers to being saved from our sins. Yeah? Uh, that this saviour born will save us from our sins. Um, the angel tells or he will deliver his people from their sins. This is what the angel tells Joseph in Matthew. But Professor Gonzalez writes that in Hebrew, salvation has more than one meaning, not just saving people from sins. And so when the shepherds hear that, when Zechariah and Simeon talk about it, they mean much more than just being saved from sin. In the Old Testament, in Hebrew, the idea of salvation, first of all, was liberating someone from bondage, freeing someone, bringing freedom like the freedom, uh, like freeing a slave, like what God did with Israel when he brought them out of Egypt. The second idea of salvation is redemption. It is doing something to recover what has ended up being the property of another person. So, for example, in the Old Testament, a, a person may have sold himself to someone as a slave because he could not pay up his debts. A relative can come and pay that debt and bring freedom and release the person from, from slavery and redeem that person back, bringing him back to the family, which is his rightful place. And so when God redeemed the people from Egypt, from Egyptian hold or Babylonian hold, God was in reality reclaiming rightful ownership of his people because Israel belonged to God in the first place. And in the same way, when God saves us from sin, we are made in God's image, we belong to God, we never belong to sin. But sin has taken hold of us. And so God frees us from sin and redeems us. The third idea of salvation is that of restoring health to someone. And so the idea of salvation really is wide. When Zechariah sang of God redeeming his people, of raising a saviour for, for them, saving Israel from her enemies, it was very concrete. It referred to the people who had must, who were masters of Israel at that time, and it was the Roman Empire. When Simeon expressed his relief that a saviour is born, he has seen God's salvation. It was about his people being free from the yoke of the Roman Empire at that time so that they would not be under them but be free to worship God. Zechariah proclaims in his song that God remembered his covenant to Abraham. And Jesus, 
would fulfill that covenant where Israel had failed. Jesus himself said in Matthew on the Sermon on the Mount that he had come to fulfill the law and the prophets, not to abolish them. And even when he was a baby, his parents made sure that they fulfilled the law required in all the various rituals. And so that's why they brought Jesus to the temple. Because in the Jewish law, the firstborn in the family, the firstborn male in the family, belonged to God. And so coming to the temple, sacrificing the two pigeons for poor people, or a ram or a goat for those who had a little bit more money, was to redeem that first per firstborn back to the family. Otherwise, that firstborn would be given to God. And so, in, it's ironic that the Redeemer had to be redeemed as well. And through Jesus, that covenant with Abraham, all nations would be blessed and drawn back to God. Being freed does not mean that we are free to do whatever we like, whenever we like. Israel was freed from bondage in Egypt to worship God. And that was the purpose when they went to Pharaoh, free my people, we are going into the desert to worship God. And in his song, Zechariah sees that freedom they get from God's action, being reclaimed as God's own people, is so that they can come back under God's rule and serve Him without fear. And that is what being in a covenant with God is all about, to serve God and to live in His ways of righteousness and holiness. And Jesus reminds us, living under this rule is not heavy. His yoke is light and easy. Today, after the Christ event, after Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, we are under the new covenant which is sealed by the blood of Jesus. And so like God promised through Jeremiah, the law is written in our hearts, although we have it here in the Bible, but really it is written in the hearts because it is the Holy Spirit, God's seal on us, God's presence in us, who does the writing of that law, who impresses the law into our hearts. And because of the Holy Spirit's presence, you and I are able to know God personally without having someone else to keep telling us who God is and to know Him. We do say that to each other sometimes to remind us, but coming to experience God is done by the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And knowing God personally means we belong to Him and we are God's friends. Like Jesus told His disciples, I don't call you my servants, but I call you friends. And at the same time, 
we are also called to serve God wherever and however He leads us. In a short while after this, we will be renewing, or for some who are doing it the first time, making a covenant with God. This covenant prayer that you find in the bulletin was given by John Wesley to those in the Methodist movement in his day. He had gotten it from the Moravians, German Christians. For some of us, perhaps it's easy to say because things are going well for us. For some of us, because we've been through hard times, it may be easier. In the early days when life was going good, and I was at a comfortable place, at least in my comfort zone, it was easy for me to say this. Back in my home church, and in the first two years of my seminary life, but when I came to the third year, and I realized that after this finish, it would be something new, I didn't know what was going on and what I was going to do, um, going out into the pastorate, perhaps I hadn't made up my mind then, it was the beginning of the year, but I realized how hard it was to say those words because it then meant a personal sacrifice. But by God's grace, we are made able to pray that prayer. And we pray that prayer with the Holy Spirit's help in a time of strength together in community, encouraging one another. So that when we come to a difficult time in our weakness, we are helped by that covenant because it's not just our part in making it, but also God's part in keeping His side of the covenant to hold us. And so just as God fulfilled the covenant with Israel through Jesus, you and I can be assured that God will fulfill His part when we make this covenant with Him. Penang Trinity is 60 years this year. We begin our 60th year. Our theme for this year, and I want to thank Chong Jin for helping us think through this. Uh, I've asked him to kind of help with this and the 60th anniversary, uh, not just celebrations, but uh, the things that we're going to engage ourselves in in the 60th year. And he's thought through this, and the theme is being disciples of the Spirit-filled Messiah moving us towards our vision of nurturing disciples into becoming a spirit-filled, impactful church. And so we will, over these months, have an integrated sermon and discussion guide leading up to our anniversary. And we will call on various people who are able to uh, do this to write the discussion guides. The first installment for January is out and those who would like a hard copy, uh, there are limited copies. Uh, we were not able to get as many out as we could. So there are limited copies of the uh, guide in 
the reception area. Uh, for those who prefer a soft copy, this will be loaded up onto our website and you'll be given the link. Um, so if they're not enough and you still want hard copies, do please let Angeline know and she will make sure that a copy will be given to you. Uh, small groups are encouraged to use these guides as well in, uh, when you meet. Yeah? We remember today that we belong to a covenant-making and covenant-keeping God. The God who knows us thoroughly, who knows our weaknesses, who knows where and when we fail, but who still loves us and desires to be in covenant with us. The cross demonstrates this. And the cross seals that new covenant God makes with humanity. And so as we stand on the first day of 2017, at the beginning of our church's 60th year, let us make this covenant with God with all our hearts, soul, mind and strength. And as you come forward for the Lord's Supper later, may I invite us to make it an act of gratitude and our promise to keep the covenant with the God who loves us and gave himself for us. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for giving yourself to us. We pray that even as we move towards making this covenant, your grace will enable us to keep that covenant. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.